I'm not sure if you recall what we were talking about back in October and November, but we were talking about uh, firing on all five cylinders. And we got through four of them. And we're finally going to get to the fifth one. And the fifth cylinder is actually a series of five cylinders. So uh, <laughs> just a refresher on the, on the first four. Um, the first one was couple different phrases that we could use to describe it. I like the term Christ consciousness, but we've been using the phrase practicing the presence. So we've been practicing the presence of God, which means we are doing our best to be fully present in the now moment, this eternal now. And when we are fully present with this eternal now moment, we become present with the divine presence because that's where God lives. God lives here and now. That is our portal to divine presence, the here and now. This is why Jesus proclaims over and over, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. So that was the the first cylinder, if you will, or the first core dynamic of what a healthy, thriving church needs And it's the most important. In fact, all the other dynamics, all the other aspects of a healthy, thriving church flow from this this state of of being in tune with divine presence. So the second one was grace-filled togetherness. And again, this grace-filled togetherness isn't something that we cultivate or develop on our own. It is a reflection, or really the fruit of us being connected to the same spirit. We are one body because we are connected to the same vine, right? So my connection with Charlie is going to increase. Our grace-filled togetherness will increase and become animated as we both connect more deeply with the same spirit. So grace-filled togetherness. The third one was a courageous commitment to truth. And this one was more complex and complicated. I'm not sure we ever really got to a point where we all said, yes, we all understand what a courageous commitment to truth is. So we just moved on anyway. But if I was to put it into a paragraph, which is very difficult for me to do, I, I think I would say this. It, once again, it is connected to practicing the presence. Because as Christians, we believe that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So our commitment to truth is, is our commitment to Christ. And we become, we live in the truth as we live in the vine. And as we practice the presence, as we become more in tune with the Spirit of Christ, then our lives are exposed to truth. We receive truth. Truth is revealed to us by the Spirit of Christ. And most of the truth that will be revealed to us will be about our own lives. So one, one, of, the, one of the key um, truths that are consistently revealed to us will come in the form of what we used to call conviction. So I, I realize a truth about myself, um, whatever, whatever that could be. There's so many, I, I can't even think of one to name, um, but in that moment, I become convicted. Let's use the example of, of gossiping. So in, in a moment where I'm, I'm 
together with some, some people that I, that I love and cherish, and we begin to talk about someone else. And in that moment, if I'm practicing the presence, what, what not only can happen, but what has happened is, is truth is revealed to me. You're gossiping. And the words that you are speaking are not words of life. They are words of death and destruction. They are toxic to you. They are toxic to the people that you are speaking with. They are toxic to the body of Christ that you belong to. They, and they are offensive to me. This is what the Spirit of God reveals to me. So if I'm, I'm practicing the presence and, and I receive this truth, well, a courageous commitment to truth means that I respond to the truth as if it's true, right? So the truth is revealed to me. and I'm like, this is toxic. I am going to stop. That's what a courageous commitment to truth looks like. And once in a while, if I continue to practice that, and once I deal with all the ugly truths about myself, then once in a while, God will reveal truth about someone else or some other group to me. We shouldn't be too hasty to um, jump onto this, this truth that is revealed about other people, because sometimes um, the different parts of our being, we've talked about ego, we've talked about a pain body, we've talked about false self, sometimes those voices in our own beings can be mistaken for the voice of God. And sometimes those voices will deflect truth that has been revealed about our own beings and focus on that ugly truth about someone else. And it's not God saying, hey, don't worry about you know, the beam in your own eye. Let's, let's fixate on the speck on your brother or sister's eye, right? So any time I receive truth about someone else, I'm always cautious to be, okay, what voice is this really? Once in a while, very rarely, it will actually be the Spirit of God revealing something about, about a brother or sister, and it, but it's always in the form of, of, of love, right? Any truth that I am called to, to, to speak into a brother or sister's life is always in a spirit of love. And we could... I'm starting to preach a sermon on courageous commitment to truth. But anyway, the, the, the nutshell is we speak that truth in love. So whenever we speak the truth in love, A, we always speak it to the person that it has been revealed about. If God reveals something to me about Charlie, and then I go to Cyril, and be, hey, guess what? I think there's something going on. Um, immediately, if I'm practicing the presence, I should be stricken down. <laughs> At least emotionally. Something should, hey, that's toxic. We've already been through that, Troy, right? So we don't speak the truth in love about someone else to someone else. No, if something has genuinely been revealed to me, we don't go around gossiping or complaining or whining about it. We speak to the person directly. Now, there are a few situations where that's not possible for a number of reasons. Maybe the person the truth has been revealed about is, has been abusive in the past or there's power dynamics at play. It is a complicated world and we cannot pretend that it isn't. In in that case, or even if you suspect, I, I, I'm not sure if I should speak this truth in love to the person that it's about, then you go to your spiritual leaders. And, and one of the ways that we have simplified this for you is we now have named our spiritual leadership team the spiritual leadership team. So you don't have to think real hard about who would I go to if I wanted to talk to the spiritual leadership team. So that's how you courageously commit yourself to truth in a paragraph. It's, it is more complicated. I think we spent four weeks on it. Uh, but that's it in a nutshell. So those are, oh, that's the third one. The fourth one was focused discipline. And 
we, we recognize that self-discipline is a struggle for all of us. And that discipline flows from focus. Well, what are we focusing? Well, the first thing we focus is our desire. So discipline starts with a desire. And uh, the, the, the most potent desires in our lives are desires that we share with God. So this is a desire that, that, that I really want and that God also really wants to. So um, when we can partner and, and sync our desires with God, that becomes a very powerful force in our lives. Okay, so we have a desire. Now we need to focus it by giving it a clear destination. We can see it. We can smell it. We can taste it. We can feel it. We, we, we see it in our mind's eye clearly. After we have a destination, then we need direction. Okay, where are we going to go to actually get to this destination and fulfill the desire? And then once that starts happening, then you get drive. There are a lot of D words, so you can remember them. You get drive, motivation. And, and discipline flows out of this drive that is a result of a desire that has a destination and direction. Make sense? And then comes along a beautiful P word. And once you start feeling the drive and motivation and you know which direction uh, you're going to go and you know what the destination is and you start to become disciplined and move forward, then you experience progress. And once you experience progress, that just increases your drive and motivation. You realize, I, I may actually get there. This, this destination might not just be a, a fanciful or, or wishful thinking. This might actually become my reality. And as you progress, your drive increases and your discipline increases. And your discipline isn't quite as painful anymore because you see it is now the vehicle which is moving you towards that desired destination. Okay, so there's four. The fifth one, if I had to comprise it into uh, two words or less, I would say it is specialized service. So that's the fifth core dynamic of a healthy, thriving church. Specialized service. Let's unpack that a little bit more broadly. We're talking about people discovering their unique gifts and using their gifts for the ministry of the church and God's work in the world. So that's the final core dynamic of a healthy, thriving church. And of course, when we're, we're going to talk about these gifts that we have and that we need to utilize in order to be the church that God dreams Avon to be, well, there's five of them that we're going to be discussing. And they were listed in the passage of Scripture that was, was read for us this morning, and it's Ephesians chapter 4. Now, you just heard it read. Do I need to read it again? Who can tell me what the five were? Maybe you know them off by heart anyway. I'll get you started. Apostle is the first one. Prophets. Teachers. Evangelists? Yep. Pastors, shepherds. Yep. So that's the five. That's the five. Now, is that list found anywhere else in the Bible? Okay, enough with the rhetorical questions, Troy. Just talk. Okay. There are three primary lists of spiritual gifts found in the New Testament. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. And spiritual gifts are mentioned in other passages, but those are the, the, the three primary ones that have a list. All three of those lists are different. None of them are the same. Now, I think... Now, they all come from Paul as well, so it's not like different people are writing. I think there's many reasons for that, and I'll share my speculation. I believe every church 
has a unique mission and purpose. Now we all have the general mission that all churches have. And the general mission of the church, purpose of the church, is the Great Commission and the Great Commandments brought together. So the Great Commandments are to love God with our whole being and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. The Great Commission is to go into all the world and make disciples. So that's the, that is the general mission and mandate of every church. So when we let's bring it home to Stratford. There's one church in Stratford, right? We're just all parts of the church. So the church in Stratford has one mission and mandate. That is to love God, love our neighbors as ourselves, and to make disciples. Go into all areas of Stratford and beyond and make disciples. But each of those individual churches that make up the Church of Stratford have a unique or what I would call a specialized role in fulfilling the general mandate of the Church in Stratford. And it's absolutely essential that each of those churches figures out what that specialized role is. One of the things that happens is we start competing with one another, right? Not good. That's, that's a clear sign that we are missing the point. We should complement one another. So, in order for us to fulfill the unique, specialized role that God has given to us as Avon Mennonite Church means we may need different gifts than the other churches to fulfill their unique role. So, so Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and then to the church in Corinth, and then to the church in Ephesus, and, and my speculation is he names different gifts because he's emphasizing different gifts that the Spirit gives because those are the ones they need to focus on at that time and place they find themselves to fulfill the unique mission God has given them. Another reason I think none of the lists are the same is because I don't think there is... The Bible gives us a complete, comprehensive, exhaustive list of the gifts that the Spirit wants to give to us. In fact, I would believe that, and be so bold as to say, that some of the gifts that the Spirit wants to pour into the 21st century church uh, are not named in the Bible. Because maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe there's some technological gifts, right, that, uh, that they just weren't even aware of. So I, I, don't, I think Paul's point in, in offering a lot of different gifts for us to, to, to at least have a handle on, this, is, this might be some of the gifts that God wants to give to us, is just to communicate that there are many gifts that the Spirit of God can and will give to us in order to fulfill our mission as a church. But there's no limit on the gifts that God wants to pour into us as a body. Okay. So I am going, instead of, you know, going through each of those passages of Scripture line by line to, to gain insight on the spiritual gifts, I'm, I'm just going to give you 12 basic insights that we get from those three passages of Scripture. What I would encourage you to do is go read uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and then Ephesians 4, and then you can see if these insights are accurate or not, and then we can have a conversation. <clears throat> But the first point, I've already mentioned, there's no comprehensive list of spiritual gifts in the Bible. The second point is this. All spiritual gifts come from the Holy Spirit. I'm probably not blowing anyone's mind at this point. Um, point number three. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to people as the Holy Spirit chooses. So we, we don't have a lot of say in who gets what gifts. 
Sometimes we try and control that, right? Either by proclaiming the gift, you know, hey, by the way, I have the gift of maybe. If that's not affirmed by other people, you, you might want to question it. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to people as the Holy Spirit chooses. Number, point number four, sometimes the gifts amplify or build on our natural abilities, but sometimes they don't. And one example would be the gift of teaching. So say someone is just a natural, we would even call them a gifted teacher. Well, the spiritual gift of teaching might be given to that person, but it might not. Sometimes the people that are given this spiritual gift of teaching are people that we would not assume would be able to illuminate our minds to spiritual truths. Okay? So that's what that means. Point number five, all gifts are given as the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The gifts are not given to us just for us. They are always given to individuals for the common good of the body. Point number six, every person who is part of the body of Christ is given at least one spiritual gift. So what does it mean to be part of the body of Christ? My belief is this. If you open up your life to the living presence of the Spirit of Christ, well, that's how you connect to the vine. I, you know, we could, we could talk about beliefs, and I, I think beliefs are important, but you can believe all the right things. You can hold all the right things, and I use right in, in quotation marks because we would probably, many of us would disagree on what the right things are. But to believe the right things about Jesus, I don't think that makes you a, a part of the body of Christ. What makes you a part of the body of Christ is being connected to the vine, right? Being connected to the body. When you open up your life to the living presence of the Spirit of Christ, you are part of the body. And when you are part of the body, you are given a spiritual gift. Everyone. What I, what I sense in many churches is... I want to say the majority. That might be too much, but let's just go with it. Take it with a grain of salt. The majority of people don't know what their spiritual gift is. And the next point illuminates why that is such a, um, a bad thing. All gifts are needed. <laughs> Every gift given by the Holy Spirit is necessary for that church to fulfill its unique calling. Every gift that the Spirit of God gives to us is necessary for us to be the church that God calls us to be. The reality is we can't be the Avon that God wants us to be unless everyone who's a part of this body not only knows what their gifts are, but uses them. So everyone's really important. Everyone is incredibly important. So all gifts are needed. No one can say to another, we have no need of your gift. If anyone ever says that to you, they're in direct violation of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And just common etiquette, too. Um, Number nine, there are five essential leadership gifts that every church needs. And these are the ones that are listed in Ephesians chapter four. That's the apostolic gifts, the prophetic gifts, gifts of evangelism, gifts of teaching, and the gift of shepherding, pastoral care. Number 10, Paul tells us these are the most important gifts, these five leadership gifts. We're gonna get into that probably next week why they are the most important. The point of these five essential leadership gifts is to grow and develop the church, equip everyone in the body to use their gifts to do God's work, 
And finally, to mature spiritually together as a community. And the final point, number 12, is the gifts cannot function on their own. We are all inextricably connected to one another, as Paul uses the example of a body. A hand is a very amazing gift. And if it's cut off, it's not real useful, right? It's got to be connected. All the gifts that we are given, they are, I don't want to say useless because that's not true, but they, they are not fruitful. They are not serving their divine purpose unless they are not only connected to one another, but mutually submitted to one another. The only way we can mutually submit to one another is if we are submitted to the Spirit of Christ. This is tricky. This is hard. And personally, I think Avon Mennonite Church has, has pursued this mutual submission to one another, probably with more intentionality than many churches I'm familiar with. Where, where we can and I believe have gone wrong, it, it just doesn't work if we are submitting to one another and yet we are not mutually submitted to Christ. And of course what makes this so difficult is who's going to make the judgment call on who's submitted to Christ and who's not. Well, that's why we need these five spiritual leadership gifts because, because you know what? God isn't surprised by that question. The, the design of the church is actually intended to, to be able to respond to such a scenario. I believe Avon Mennonite Church has not embodied this fivefold ministry model because I would say 99% maybe higher of Western churches haven't embodied the five-fold ministry model. And there's actually a logical reason for, for why that has happened. And that will be my cliffhanger for you to come back next week. <laughs>